Hey guys, this is Samantha, um, and I am back for our final <sighs> part three of John Wayne Gacy. Um, and just so you guys know, you are listening to Murderous Intentions Podcast. Um, if you guys ever want to hit us up on our Instagram, it is, <laughs> uh, right is like, am I, yeah. Murderous intention, murderous slash underscore intentions underscore podcast. Um, and our Twitter is MI True Cry Podcast. All right, so now let's get on to the knitting gritty of this. Um, as this man is a despicable man, just saying, despicable. Um, so we were talking about um his murders and the last one which made the most indent um and kind of put a halt to a lot of things was when he had killed robert peace okay guys so let's go ahead and get right into it so when it came to the second warrant second search warrant um the same evening that they had interviewed Rossi, they end up interviewing they get, um not Rossi um Gacy, um and he said, "Nope, I had no contact with um this kid named Robert. Not nope, they didn't happen. You know, they went and decided to interview his employee, Rossi." for a second time so this time Rossi was a little more corroborated um, and he informed the detectives that in the summer of 1977 at Gacy's um, he had spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of Gacy's house on December 19th investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant for Gacy's house the same day, Gacy's lawyers filed a civil suit against the Des Plains police. The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd. However, that afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside his house again. As Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with the conversation, um, Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV set that suspected belonged to John Sick. While flushing Gacy's toilet, the police noticed the smell, well, a smell, okay? Because this is one kind of smell you can, you, you don't forget. You Once you smell it, you, it's like, oh, mm, I will never forget that. Um... And he suspected that that smell could be that of rotting corpse emanating from the heating duct. So the officers who had searched Gacy's house previously had failed to notice this as the house had been cold. And so investigators interviewed both Cram and Rossi on December 20th. Rossi, who agreed to be interviewed by about his possible links with John Sink as well as disappearance of Robert Peace when questioned by Kavinsky Kavinska um as to where the you know he believed Gacy had concealed Peace's body Rossi replied Gacy may have placed the body in the crawl space adding that he thought Sick's car was stolen Rossi agreed to submit to a polygraph test. He denied any involvement in Peace's disappearance, also denied any knowledge of his whereabouts. He soon refused to continue the questioning, and Rossi's erratic and inconsistent response to questions while attached to the polygraph machine rendered Kaczynski's um, unable to render a definite, a definite opinion. As to the truthfulness of his answers, 
Rossi did, however, further discuss the trench digging he did in the crawl space and remarked on Gacy's insistence that he he not deviated from where he had he was instructed to dig. So Cram informed investigators of Gacy's attempts to rape him in 1976. He stated that he after that after he and Gacy had returned to his home after the December 13th search of his property, Gacy had turned pale after seeing a a clot of mud on his carpet which he suspected had came from his crawl space. Cram um, said Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been in the crawl space, um, Cram replied he once been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and had also dug trenches, which Gacy had explained were for drainage pipes. Crane stated that these trenches were two feet deep, um, two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep, the size of graves. Kind of creepy, isn't it? So, finally, on the evening of December twenty, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a scheduled meeting um, and it was to discuss the progress of his civil suit. On his arrival, Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink, whereupon Sam Amarant fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car. On his return, Amarant asked Gacy what had he had to discuss with them. Um, so Gacy goes, I'm sorry about the ums, forgive me. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from Aminette's desk, pointed to a front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Peace, and said, this boy is dead. He's dead. He's in the river. Gacy then proceeded to give a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began to inform Aminette and Stevens he had been the judge, the jury, and the executioner of many, many people, and that he now wanted to be the same for himself. He said he buried most of his victims in his crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in the Des Plaines River. Gacy dismissed his victims as mill prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he gave the rope trick, adding he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor. With their hands cuffed behind their back, he had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed they were his property. I don't... I want I want to say you know like you want to like say okay I I can understand that but it's like humans are not property to another human humans are never property to anybody as they have the right to consent you know and say no say yes say okay let's try it out but if I don't like it mm-mm, you know and when you're not given that opportunity and you're just, you're forced to do something and you're tortured and then you're, you're murdered so that way you don't rat on the person and the person doesn't have to, can continue with his selfless acts, well, selfish, selfish acts. Let me, let me make sure that that's, you know, with his selfish acts, it's like, dude, you, you, they're not your property. You know? Like, no. No. So as a result of the alcohol he had consumed, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession. Emirant immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. On awakening several hours later, Gacy shook his head when informed by Emirant 
that he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people saying, well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment, Gacy left their office and attended to attend to the needs of his business. Gacy later recollected, recollected his memories of his final day of freedom by as being hazy, adding he knew his arrest was inevitable um, and that he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. After leaving his lawyer's office, Gacy drove to a gas station where, in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of cannabis to the attendant, who he who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers, again, well, adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming for me, these guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to the home of a fellow contractor and friend, Ronald Road. Gacy hugged Ronald before bursting into tears saying, I've been a bad boy. I killed 30 people, give or take a few. Gacy left Rhodes' house and drove to Cram's house to meet with Cram and Rossi. As he drove along the expressway, the surveillance officers noted he was holding a rosary in to his chin, praying while he drove. After talking with Cram and Rosary, Rossi, Gacy had Cram drive him to a scheduled meeting with the with lawyer Leroy Stevens on the northwest side. As Gacy spoke with Stevens, Cram informed the surveillance officers that Gacy had told him and Rossi he had confessed to over 30 murders with his lawyers the previous night. Gacy then had Cram drive him to Mary Hill Cemetery, where his father had been buried. As Gacy drove to various locations that morning, police outlined the formal draft of their second search warrant, specifically to search for the body of Robert Priest in the crawl space. On hearing of from the surveillance detectives that in light of his erratic behavior, Gacy might be about to commit suicide, police decided to arrest him on a charge of possession and distribution of cannabis. To hold him in custody as a formal request for a second search warrant was present at 4 30 p.m on december 21st the eve of the hearing of gacy's civil suit judge Mar marvin j peters granted the request for a second search warrant after police and after police um informed gacy of their intentions to search his crawl space for the body of peace Gacy denied the teenager was buried there, and, well, yeah, so he denied that the teen was buried there, but he confessed to having ki having killed in self-defense, and I air quote this, you know, a young man whose body was buried under his garage. Do you realize how he's so narcissistic that it's like, everybody's this, like, Oh, it was in self-defense. Oh, you know, um, I didn't really know that this happened, you know. Like, we were just, you know, playing around and then this happened. You know, and it's always like, dude, can you just say, you know, the honest truth, what you did, and man up to it. So armed with the, with the signed search warrant, police... And evidence technicians drove to Gacy's house. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged the sump pump, flooding the coil space with water. To clear it, they simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After it had been had done so, the evidence technician Daniel Gently entered a 28 by 38 foot crawl space. Crawled to the southwest area and began digging within minutes he had uncovered putrefied flesh and a human arm bone Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that he could charge Gacy that they could charge Gacy 
with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. A police photographer then dug in, dug in the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a patella, which is your is that little um part on your knee that kind of like covers. Um, normally, you could feel it. Like once you touch your knee, that's that that's what you feel is your patella. So the two then began digging in the northeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. The victims were too, de too decomposed to be pieced. As the body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed, a crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside this body. Later evacuated. excavations of of the foot of these second victims revealed a further skull beneath the body because of this te technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed discovered the rib cage of a fourth victim within the crawl space confirming the scale of the murders after being a informed that the police had found human remains in his crawl space and that he would now face murder charges gacy told officers he wanted to clear the air now you want to clear the air mm. should have did that before so adding he had known his arrest was inevitable um since the previous evening which he spent on the couch of his lawyers In the early hour, hour mornings of December 22nd, the presence of his lawyers, Gacy provided the formal statement in which he confessed to murdering approximately 30 young males, all of whom he claimed had entered his house willingly. Some victims were referred to by name, but Gacy claimed not to know or remember most of their names. He claimed all were teenager, teenage male runaways or male prostitutes, the majority of, the, of whom he had buried in the crawl space. Gacy claimed to have dug only five of the victims' graves in his location and had his employees, including Gregory Gozik, dig the remaining trenches so that he would have graves available. One victim hailed from Ro Round Lake. Another had been a Michigan native when shown a driver's license issued by a Robert Hastings, which had been found on his property. Gacy claimed not to know him, but admitted that his license had been in the possession of one of his victims in January 1979 he was he had planned to conceal the corpse even further by covering the entire crawl space with concrete when questioned um, specifically about peace Gacy confessed to luring him to his house and strangling him on the evening of December 11th he also admitted to having slept alongside peace's body that evening before disposing of the corpse in the Des Plaines River in the early hours of December 13th. On his way to the police station, he had been in a mirror, minor traffic accident after disposing of peace. His vehicle had slid off on an ice-covered uh, ice road and had to be towed from its location. According by police, Accompanied by police, his lawyers and his older sister, Gacy, um, was driven to the I-55 bridge on December 23rd to pinpoint the precise spot where he confessed to having thrown the body of Robert and four other victims into the Des Plaines River. Gacy was then taken to his house and instructed to mark his garage floor with orange spray paint to show where he had buried the individual 
he had supposedly killed in his self-defense, whom he named John Butkeridge. So, okay. So Gacy's sketch of the borough locations in his basement um, is kind of like is very gruesome um, because it's like, dude, seriously. Not why would you sketch it? You know, so you could show the police, obviously. But why'd you do this to these people? They did nothing wrong to you. You know? But, yeah. So, like I said, um, to assist the officers in their search for the victims buried beneath his, his house during his confession, Gacy had drew a rough um, diagram of his basement on a phone message sheet to indicate where their bodies were buried. 26 bodies were were unearthed from Gacy's crawl space over the next week. Three more were also unearthed elsewhere on his property. Cook County Medical Examiner Robert Stein supervised the examination. Each victim unearthed from the crawl space was placed in a body bag, which was placed near the front door awaiting transportation to the mortuary. The crawl space was marked in sections and each body was given an identifying number. The first body recovered from the crawl space was assigned a marker denoting the victim as body one. Gacy had buried his victims in the northeast section of the crawl space directly beneath the room he used as his office. No cause of death could be determined, but, you know, hello, he told us, he strangled. So that kind of like answers that for us. The body of John Butkeridge was labeled as body two. On December 23rd, investigators returned to unearth the three corpses, which had been buried in the same trench as body one. Body three was buried in the crawl space directly above body four. Alongside body five was buried directly beneath body one. This victim was buried 36 inches below the surface of the soil, indicating he had he was the first descendant to be buried in the common in this common grave. The search for victims was postponed temporarily over Christmas. Four more bodies were un- were unearthed on December 26th. Bodies number bodies numbered six and seven were buried in the same grave. Body seven was found in a fetal position, a cloth gag found in his, the mouth, leading investigators to conclude this victim was most likely dead of asphyxiation. Body eight was found with the tourniquet used to strangle him still knotted along his neck. Body nine was found beneath a layer of concrete and was found to have several stab wounds to the ribs and sternum, suggesting he was Gacy's first victim. On December 27th, eight more bodies were discovered. Body 10 was was buried face up, parallel to the wall of the crawl space, directly beneath the entrance to Gacy's home. Both body 11 and 12 were found face downwards to um with their with a ligature around their neck and both were buried beside each other in the center of the crawl space directly beneath the hallway body 13 was found beneath the space the spare bedroom body 14 and 15 was recovered from a common grave diagnosed to body 10 body both 14 and 15 were found with their head and upper torso inside separate plastic bags. Body 16 was found close to body 13, although in a separate tent further north of the south wall. This victim was found with a cloth rag 
lodged deep in his throat, causing him to die of suffocation. The 17th victim was found with a ligature around his neck. 26 bodies were found buried in Gacy's crossbase. And the following day, four more bodies would be exhumed. Bodies 19 was buried located beneath the spare bedroom. The body was found with a ligature around the neck. Body 20 was buried in the northwest corner of the crawl space perpendicular to body 19. On December 29th, six more bodies were unearthed. Bodies 22, 23, 24, and 26 were buried in a common grave located beneath Casey's kitchen and laundry room. With body 25 located beneath Casey's bathroom, body 22 was found directly beneath Casey's kitchen with a section of cloth-like material lodged in his throat. Two socks were recovered from the pelvic region. This victim was buried directly beneath 21 and recovered the same day. The bones of victim 23 and 24 were commingled together. A section of the cloth was found inside the mouth of body 24 and 26. Body 25 was found beneath Gacy's bathroom with a section of cloth lodged in his throat. The final victim recovered from the crawl space was also found beneath the bathroom, buried 10 inches be below the surface of the soil. This victim was found to have a section of cloth lodged deep in his throat. Operations were suspended due to the Chicago blizzard of 1979 but resumed in March despite Gacy's insistence that all the buried victims had been found. On March 9th, body 28 was found wrapped in plastic in several plastic bags and buried beneath the patio approximately 15 feet from the barbecue pit in Gacy's backyard. On March 20 on March 16th Body 29 was found beneath the dining room floor. All the victims discovered at <clears throat> at 8213 West Summerdale were in an, an advanced state of decomposition. Dental records and x-ray charts helped signed identify the remains. 23 victims were identified via dental records, with two further victims identified via skeletal trauma. These identifications were also supported by person by personal artifacts found in Gacy's home. The head and upper torso of several bodies unearthed beneath Gacy's property had been placed into plastic bags. Several were also found with a rope still around their neck. In some cases, bodies were found in foreign positions such as prescription bottles, Lodge into like pres prescription bottles lodged into their pelvic region. The position of their I indicated I the position of which indicated the items had been thrust into the victim's anus. Sorry about that. Stein concluded that twelve victims recovered from Casey's property did died not of a strangulation but asphyxiation Gacy vacate house Gacy's vacate house was demolished in April 1979 thank gosh like seriously so in June 1978 Gacy began discarding the bodies um and remember like there was he said that he put four of them um, in the river, so, yeah. Whew. So, we're gonna, ooh, Um, so in his trial, Gacy was brought, um, 
So Gacy's trial began on February 6, 1980 and charged for 33 murders. He was tried in Cook County, Illinois before Judge um, Lois Garpo, Garippo. The jury was selected from Rockford because of the extensive press coverage in Cook County. At the request of his defense counsel, Gacy spent over 300 hours with doctors at the Menard Correctional Center in Chester in the year before his trial. He underwent a various psychological test before a panel of psychiatrists to, um, to determine whether he was mentally competent to stand trial. Gacy attempted to convince the doctors he had multiple personality disorder. He claimed that he had fur full personality, a working, a hardworking, civic-minded contractor, the clown, the active politician, and a policeman named Jack Henley, Hanley, whom he referred to as Bad Jack. When Gacy confessed to the to the police, he claimed he to be relaying the crimes of Jack, who detested homosexuality and who reviewed who viewed male prostitutes as weak, stupid, and disgraded and degraded scum. That's an awful thing. His lawyer opted to have Gacy plead not guilty because of insanity to the charges against him, presenting Gacy as a Jekyll and Hyde character. The offense well the defense um produced several psychiatric experts who had examined Gacy. Three psychiatrics Experts at Gacy's trial testified they found him to be a paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personalities. The prosecutor presented the case that Gacy was sane and in full control of his actions. To the support, to support this um contention, they produced several witnesses to testify to the premeditation of Gacy's actions and effect and the efforts he took to escape detection. These doctors refuted the defense doctor's claims of multiple personalities and insanity. Kramer and Rossley testified that Casey had made them dig drainage trenches and spread bags of limes in the crawl space. Both said Casey looked periodically into the crawl space to ensure they and other employees and other employees they supervised did not deviate from the, the precise location he had marked. On February 18th, Robert Stein testified that all the bodies recovered from Gacy's property were marked, decomposed, and putrefied, skeletonized remains, and that all of the autopsies he performed, 13 victims had died of assassination. Assess Assist Okay, um Assistiation. I can't I can't talk today, sorry. Six of ligature strangulation and one of multiple stab wounds to the chest and ten in undetermined weights. When Gacy defense teams suggested that all thirty three deaths were caused by accidental erotic asphyxia. Now I can say the word right, right? Steen called this highly improbable. Jeffrey Rignall testified on behalf of the defense of the defense on February 21st, recounting his ordeal. Rignall wept repeatedly while describing Gacy's torture of him in March 1978. Asked whether Gacy appreciated the crim the criminality of his actions, Riggle, Riggle said he believed that Gacy was unable to confirm to conform his actions to the law expectation because of the beast beastly and animalistic way he attacked me. That is sad to have to like, you know, you realize, you know what, this this dude is just sick you know 
And I'm and when I say poor guy, I'm talking about Rignal. You know, like he had to go through this, and then it's like you go, you gotta, you testify, and you have to relive it. You know, and it's just like, OMG. So during specific cross examination relating to the torture, Rignal vomited and was excused from from further testimony. On February 29th, Donald Voorhees, whom Gacy sexually assaulted in 1967, testified to his ordeal. At Gacy's hands and his substant attempts to dissuade him from testifying by paying another youth to spray mace in his face and beat him, Voorhees felt unable to testify, but did briefly attempt to do so before He'd been asked to step down. Robert Downerly testified the week after Voorhees, recounting his ordeal at Gacy's hands in December 1977. Donnelly was visibly distressed and he also recalled the abuse he endured and came, came close to breaking down several times. As Donnelly testified, Gacy repeatedly laughed at him. But Donnelly finished his testimony during Donnelly's cross-examination one of Gacy's defense attorney, Robert Mota, attempted to discredit his testimony, but Donnelly did not waver from his testimony of what had occurred. During the fifth week of the trial, Gacy wrote a personal letter to Judge Grippo, requesting a mistrial for reasons including that he did not ap approve of his lawyer's insanity plea, that his lawyers had not allowed him to take the witness stand as he wanted to that his defense had not called enough medical witnesses and that the police were lying concerning verbal statements he had allegedly made to detectives after his arrest and that in any event, the statement were self-serving for use by the pr prosecution. Judge Grippo addressed Gacy's letter by informing him that both counsels had not been denied the opportunity or funds to summon expert witnesses to testify and that under the law he had the choice whether he wishes to testify and was free to indicate as much to the judge if he wished to do so. So for closing arguments on March 11th, both prosecutor and defense attorneys began. They concluded the following day, prosecutor attorney Terry Sullivan spoke first, outlining Gacy's history of abuse, of abusing youth, the testimony of his efforts to avoid detection, and describing his his surviving victims, Voorhees and Donnelly, as living as living dead, referring to Gacy as the worst of all murderers. Sullivan stated, "John Gacy has accounted for more human devastation." than many earthly catastrophics but one must but one must tremble i tremble when thinking about just how close he came to getting away with it all after the state four hour closing counsel sam amrant spoke up for the defense amrant agreed against argued against the the testimony delivered by the doctors who had testified for the prosecution, repeatedly citing the testimonies of the four psychiatrists and psychologists who had testified on behalf of the defense. Emmert also accused Sullivan of scarcely referring to the evidence presented throughout the trial in his closing argument. And of arousing hatred against his client. The defense lawyer attempted to portray Gacy as a man driven by compulsion he was unable to control, contending the state had not met their burden of proving Gacy sane beyond a reasonable doubt. I call BS. I call BS. So in support for their these arguments, the defense referred to the testimony of the doctors who had appeared for the defense in addition to the defense witness such as 
Jeffrey Rignall and a former business associate of Gacy's named Michael Ride, both of whom had tes- testified to their belief that Gacy had been unable to control his actions. Emerent then urged the jury to put aside any prejudice they held against his client and asked they deliver the verdict of not guilty because of insanity, adding that Gacy was a danger to both himself and others and that studying his psych- psychology um, and his behavior would be a benefit to science. So, uh, I'm not going to give you like the whole, you know, rundown of everything. Um, but I'm going to let you know. Um, so, with the jury in deliberation um, for less than two hours, yeah. Just two hours it took them. They found him guilty of all 33 charges. He was found guilty of sexual assault and taken and taken indecent liberties with a child. Both convictions um, about Robert Priest. He's, and at the time, his conviction for 33 murders was the most of which any person in the U.S. history had been convicted. In the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after the Illinois Statute of Capital Punishment came into effect in in June 1977. His execution date was set for June 2nd of 1980. So while on death road, he had been sentenced. Um, Gacy was transferred to the Menard Correctional Center, where he remained incarcerated on death road for fourteen years. Now you're like, wait, he was supposed to, if if it, his case was in 1977. I mean, not 1977. In 19, um, I think it was 1978. Um, and he was supposed to be put to death, 1980. Why was he in death row for 14 years instead? So that tends to sometimes always happen, um, where there's like a, uh, a stay. So, there was a lot of issues going on, um, but I'm gonna actually hop over from the minor things. Um, cause he did try to appeal, you know, um, his case, he tried to go and be like, no, that, you know, he did what most people would do is, you know, trying to fight that. So, but Gacy did, you know, like he did go and he was trying to fight it. But after the U S Supreme court denied Gacy's final appeal, um, in October of 1983. Yeah. Um, the Illinois Supreme Court formally set an execution date of May 10th, 1994. So, the morning of May 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred to the, from Menard Correctional Center to Statesville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family for his last meal. Gacy ordered a bucket of KFC, a dozen fried shrimps, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. Damn, that's a lot. But remember, he, he was having a picnic, so I guess. That evening, he observed, he observed prayers from with a Catholic priest before being executed, I mean, escorted, to the Stateville execution chamber to receive the lethal injection. Why can't he be hanged? So he can see how it felt to be strangled, you know? So before the execution began, the chemicals used to to affect 
the execution solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV used to administrate the chemicals into Gacy's arm, complicating that procedure. Blinds covering the window through which the witnesses observed the execution were drawn. The execution team replaced the clogged tubes. Then 10 minutes later, the blinds had reopened and the execution resumed. The entire procedure took about 18 minutes. The anesthesiologist blamed the problem on the prison officials' inexperience to conduct, at conducting an execution, saying that had correct execution procedures had been followed, the complication would, would never have occurred. This error led to Illinois adopting an alternate, alternation method of lethal injection. On this subject, one prosecutor at Gacy's trial, William Knuckle, and this was um at his his appeal trial, um said he got much he got a much easier death than any of his victims, which is true. His death, you're basically one you're you get put to sleep. You know you're numbed, and then you're given the chemicals that kill you off. You know, so it's like you're not really suffering. You know, you didn't suffer as as your victims did, and that's not fair. You know. So according to published reports, Gacy was diagnosed um, with diagnosed psychopath who did not express any remorse for his crimes. His final statement to his lawyer before his execution was that killing him would not compensate for the loss of others and the state and the state was murdering him. He, his final spoken words were reported to be kiss my ass. Oh, so Christian of him. So in the hours leading up to Gacy's execution, a crowd estimated at over 1,000 gathered outside the correctional center. A vocal majority were in favor of the execution, although a small number of anti-death penalty protesters were also present. Some of these, of those in favor of execution, wore t-shirts hearing uh, to Gacy's previous community service as a clown and bearing um, slogans such as no tears for the clown. The anti-death penalty protesters presented obser- present observed a silent candlelight vigil. At the Gacy's death um, was confirmed at 1258 a.m. on May 10th, 1994. His brain was removed. It is in the possession of Helen Morrison, a witness of, for the defense at Gacy's trial, who had interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of violent sociopaths. His body was cremated. Um, so that is the case of... <clears throat> John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, the psychopathic, egotistical, narcissistic asshole. And I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that he got somewhat of what was coming to him. I don't feel like the death that he received was enough to compensate for what he did but at least it's something better than nothing in him or him you know being able to live his life and everybody wondering where is where is my family member you know so that is the story of John Wayne Casey um if you guys want you guys can Hit us up at, um, you can hit me up on my, my Gmail, which is murderousintention21 
at gmail.com or you can go on to our Instagram and hit us up there at and follow us please 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 murderous underscore intentions underscore podcast or you can tweet us at mi true cry podcast so i hope you guys have a great day um be safe think about what you're gonna do um And one lesson I've learned in this past two weeks um, is how life is never granted to us. How life is never... We are not owned, you know, the next day. We can go to bed and not wake up. Something can happen during the day and we're no longer there. Um, And this is a lesson I've had to learn um, with this last two weeks because of my my sister's death. Um, So cherish the ones you've got. I know siblings can be very like, ugh, get out of my hair. But just think. That mo- those moments when you're wanting them to get out of your hair is the moments you remember. The moments that they were being annoying, that you were having arguments, or the silly things that they would do that you thought was annoying. It's going to be the biggest thing you remember. And those long-winded conversations you would have... Um, like me, in my instance, um, we would ha- I would have conversations with my sister every long. And it would come to the point where I'm like, okay, get off the phone. And she would not, she would, she would continue. And now I just wish I can, I can have one more long-winded conversation with her. But I do understand that for me to have that would mean... She would be in pain. Again. And I can't be selfish. I I can't be feeling like I'm entitled to having that one more moment. So, cherish your loved ones. Care about the people who enter in your life. Because you never know when they're gone. That's all for me. Enjoy your day, guys. See you next week. Bye.